I'm David Belson. And I'm Rachel Redan. And this is the Branding London Podcast. The first season is brought to you by Libro Credit Union, a group of epic humans focused on increasing prosperity in southwestern Ontario. They have just launched a new campaign, My Life Here, which fits the theme of this podcast quite nicely. To learn more, go to libro.ca slash mylifehere. Today we're talking with Bonnie Schmidt, Executive Director, President of Let's Talk Science. Let's Talk Science is another one of those organizations in the City of London that is a, a well-kept secret, I think. Uh, but they do amazing work and really impact the lives of kids in understanding how science can uh, be fun and engaging. And uh, Bonnie has a lot of great things to say about the city and uh, the innovation sphere in general. So I can't wait to uh, present that conversation with you. Uh, first is Rachel with the Land Acknowledgement, and then we'll have Bonnie. We would like to acknowledge the history of the traditional territory and honor the longstanding relationships of the three local First Nation groups of this land and place in southwestern Ontario. The Ottawandaran peoples once settled this region alongside the Algonquin and Haudenosaunee peoples and used this land as their traditional hunting grounds. The three long-standing Indigenous groups of this geographic region are the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, and the Lenni-Lenape peoples. I'd like to recognize the three First Nations communities neighboring the City of London, Chippewas of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, and Muncie Delaware Nation. We continue to honor the legacy of the space we're in by using the Roundhouse to tell stories, increase collaboration, and work with our clients to improve human lives. We believe that telling the stories of our fellow Londoners will help bring us together to solve problems. All right, so the first question is probably um, the easiest on the day, but I like to ask, uh, what's your name, position, function, where you work, that good stuff? Yeah, that good stuff. I'm Bonnie Schmidt. I'm president and founder of Let's Talk Science. I live here in London as I have for my whole life. Nice. So um, the next question I will ask is um, explain uh, what it means to be you know, a co-founder of Let's Talk Science to somebody who's maybe never heard of the organization before. Well, I, I founded Let's Talk Science when I was a graduate student here at Western in London back in 1991, and we can definitely get into what the organization started it to do and mm. what it does now. But right now, I tend to be more uh, involved with strategies, the development of where we're going as an organization, fundraising, supporting the board, and, and those kinds of higher order activities than I did when I first started it 25 years ago. So 25 years ago, what did you start to do and what is it? And then we can maybe follow that through what it does now. Sure. So Let's Talk Science is a national education and outreach organization that works in every province and territory to help young people prepare for their future, kinds of jobs that are changing out there now, building skills that are needed to be good, informed citizens, and uh, people who can really benefit in a technology-enriched environment now. Where we started, though, was really quite different. So back in 1991, I was doing my PhD in physiology at a time of an economic recession. And at that point, funding for scientific research had been cut quite significantly. So there was very little outreach going on. We really did live in that ivory tower mentality mm -hmm. back in the early 90s. And there, was the, there wasn't much outreach. So the cry amongst the science community across Canada 
on the cuts in funding led me to see if some of my colleagues who are also grad students might want to just get out and mm. talk science, right? <laughs> Try to raise awareness of what really amazing things were happening at the university, where scientific research was leading. And so back then, we about six of us started to reach out into the community in London made connections with high school teachers and the rest they say is history mm -hmm. or science or science absolutely <laughs> so now it's really exciting because we last year alone we worked in 42 percent of schools across the country wow. yeah a lot of schools we reached almost a million students and educators with our digital programs with our in-person programs and we've really come to look much more broadly about the importance of skills for a new economy. It's not just about uh, helping people understand what research does, although that's still part of what we do. And it's not just about trying to create more PhD scientists or more engineers. I mean, it's a good, good, good goal. Yep. But we're, we're really about helping young people realize the importance of staying in math, science, technology to the end of high school then pursue whatever pathway they want, be mm -hmm. it through university, through college, through arts, through science, becoming entrepreneurs. And I think it's in, in that space where we're really starting to come into our own you know, over 25 years later. Yeah. Why is it important for students to stay involved with science even if they're not pursuing a science-based career? Well, it's become so critical that we have citizens now who are informed electorates we're making decisions on you know, a day-to-day -day basis on what we're going to do to deal with some of the grand global challenges, climate change, energy sustainability, health care, how we will have food and, and safe water around mm -hmm. the world. You know, all of those issues are going to require science and technology innovation to address, to solve. So from that perspective, having some level of science literacy, comfort with science is really important. But also, that the jobs of the future are not just requiring people who have, you know, deep dive uh, scientific knowledge, but every job re really benefits from the kinds of skills that are developed through science learning, critical thinking, uh, you know, communication, collaboration, problem solving, data management. Just a very, very different world from when I graduated. Mm -hmm from high school. So the programming that we do and the support we do for both teachers and students are designed to build those fundamental skills for the future. We're also very creative. We connect arts and humanities into what we do as well. But the core element is everything's got a STEM, science, tech, engineering, math connection to it. Mm -hmm. How important is it to even understand the uh the scientific method, like I, I'm a big fan of that process myself. So even with this this project, I like to put a, things as a, a hypothesis and then yeah. test that hypothesis because uh, I mean, my own personal bias is that uh, people take things as things that are certain, whereas pretty much everything I put out is a hypothesis and then I have a natural curiosity to test that hypothesis. So yeah. uh, how important is the scientific process and just even in the, you know analyzing fake news and what's going on in the, the current world? That's a big question, yeah. I, I would actually expand it even more to say it's, it's fundamentally important that we help people retain their desire to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the worries that I have is as young people grow up, they lose that capacity to ask really good questions. 
If you can ask a well-formed question, then you can figure out the kind of method that you want to use in order to answer the question. And there are different ways of tackling kind of science-based or evidence-based challenges, whether it's through observation, through a traditional scientific method and hypothesis exploration. But if we lose that fundamental desire to actually ask a question, challenge people, then we've, we've really lost the capacity, I think, to even be a good democratic society mm -hmm. and get people ready for the jobs of the future. So uh, you know, one of the things, um, I'm totally off the script now, but exploring okay. something I'm curious about, but um, sometimes I see uh, in the scientific community, um, there's a, well, that's a scientific fact. And I really uh, personally balk against uh, the notion of scientific fact, because if it's science, it should always be up for for question and continual observation. So mm -hmm. um, are you seeing uh, that in, in your circles where there's uh, either a, a, a tendency to move towards, well, this is what science says, so therefore we have to take it as an absolute truth, or are you seeing it more absolute truths kind of need to be broken down and, and constantly questioned? I think the scientific community at large would agree with you in the sense that, you know, science is a way of looking at the world gathering evidence and and creating solutions or answers to interpret what's happening all around us and scientists don't say this will never change right. so i think the the real challenge is whether society understands that science is a process and it really leads to a better understanding of how the world is working i've seen real interesting shifts in marketing for example like mm. years ago you wouldn't necessarily see evidence-based advertising or marketers who are trying to convince consumers to say you should buy this because science is there. Mm -hmm. But you see it a lot now. Mm -hmm. And this is where you can, yeah, I think we need to do a better job of helping people understand how evidence is developed, mm -hmm. what process was used to actually come to the information that people are sharing, and, and provide them with ways and tools and maybe habits of mind to start poking holes in the data. But I have seen this evolution in which science is being presented in a way in which the scientists never brought it to the table right. to communicate. That's kind of what I was getting at. Um, yeah. My colleague Rachel Brink cites a common... Uh, you know, scientific fact that it exists that uh, women have smaller brains. Um, so oh. for a while, uh, it was thought to be that, you know, that was used as scientific evidence that women are, are less intelligent than their male counterparts, uh, but they didn't control for the fact that the woman's body is, you know, 80% the size. So proportionately, it's yeah. the same size, and there's no evidence to say that they, the size matters sure. as well. But it was used as, uh, you know, a scientific fact that women are less intelligent because they have smaller brains. So how important is it that when you're doing a scientific, I think you alluded to this or maybe even said it, but uh, it's an interesting concept to me anyway, that the way in which we conduct the experiment, uh, those results are an indication, but not an absolute truth. Is that right. fair? It's, it's the evidence that you find in that particular situation when that particular work was being done, right? If you, if you change how the experiment was done, you might come up with different observations. And that's why it's really, really important to the science community to clearly articulate the methodology that's mm. used. So you'll see if you look at scientific papers, it's really clear step by step what was done yep. in order to be able to interpret it. But I, I actually just want to go back for a second yeah. and talk about that whole gender thing yeah, that you yeah. raised there. Uh, I, I would 
where science can sometimes be misused as well is these kinds of black and white comparisons. Mm -hmm. And gender is a great thing. Like if you looked at some of the studies and you looked at variability amongst women, the variability amongst women and the variability amongst men is actually greater than the difference between the averages. Mm -hmm. So we often will draw data, draw conclusions over kind of misinformed pieces of information. Yeah, it's frustrating well, sometimes. I think it's well, this is yeah. where, you know, where I got on this track was the importance of science education. Um, you know, I pursued uh, a couple of the sciences through, through high school and, uh, you know, understanding that, you know, a, a fact that's you know it's a scientific fact is more a scientific conclusion from a particular experiment right uh you know even the the current some of the laws that we've had you know laws of gravity are are now being called back into question so even some of the things that we considered fundamental truths in science are actually maybe being observed as not correct i think i think that's one of the fundamental reasons why a scientific training at all levels, like starting in preschool, we start really, really young, is critically important because that understanding that information changes, the more that we can get into it, the way that the the methods might change, the more that we understand about something, and the better questions we can ask, we will always continue to find out more about our world. And it's that innate curiosity, that mm-hmm. desire to keep probing, that desire to pull together information from other places places and then ask the next deep question. It's that curiosity, it's that openness to change and continue to look at information properly that gets brought before us is really at the crux of that skill set that we're trying to build. I know it's, uh, I, mean, I, I agree and I'm a big fan of what the work that you're doing because I think it's, uh, it is critical and I try to encourage my children to take their, their maths That's and sciences good. Uh, as Thank well. You. But uh, arts, okay. I'm passionate about what we get go down another time so uh the next question is well the, actually before you yeah, do yeah. that talking about the arts i will brag a little bit well, i'm a it. proud mother of a daughter who's now at university as well but she was accepted into both engineering and english and oh, she chose english and then went back and picked up a math minor Amazing. so i think i think it all needs to fit together i think we actually need to think differently about how we deal with education in particular and the more that we can almost get rid of those subject domains Mm -hmm. and the you know the titles that we're putting on it and do multidisciplinary do student-centered issues-based learning and we weave it all together the arts the humanities the science technology math all together Mm -hmm. i think that's how we actually develop really strong citizens well since we're down that road uh, my kids go to pearson or a few of them have and uh, it's fascinating i think it's the grade four unit they study electricity uh, but part of their education curriculum is they do a dance uh, to to and they dance like electrical currents, and it just mm-hmm. helps them to understand. I believe anyway that understand the curriculum more deeply yeah. because they have uh, art based projects, and they do that all the way through yeah. at that school. If you're learning a concept about bridges, you'll also build bridges in your your arts class. Uh, you know, sculptures or whatever. It's that, just that experiential component is critical. And so we we work with 49 universities and colleges across the country, Fanshawe and Western here in town. And when those volunteers go out, they will do those kinds of experiential applications, mm-hmm. dance, movement, drawing. It's all really important. Very exciting. So shifting gears a little bit, um, but my next question to this, you know, 
products about uh, branding London. And so I asked, why do you live in London? You said you've been here. Since I was born in time. London. Yeah. I, oh yeah. I, I, I love London. Although I have to say, I never really would have thought I'd still be here, mm -hmm. but I grew up in London. I went to Westminster high school. I went to Western and I, I actually did my undergrad at Western and never thought I would stay to do my uh, graduate work, but a series of uh, circumstances meant that I didn't I didn't actually get accepted into the the field of study I first wanted to go to. I right. almost did my graduate work as a default because I had no plan B. I didn't know <laughs> what I was going to do with my life. And it turned out to be the best decision I could have ever made. So stayed here. And because I started Let's Talk Science while I was a graduate student, I'm still here. Mm -hmm. And it's largely because of London and Londoners. As to why Let's Talk Science is even here. I, I started it as a little, almost a lark, as a project yeah. while I was doing my science studies. And it was an amazing group of Londoners that kind of came together to help me think through how to turn it into a, a job. A job not just for me, but for quite a lot of other people, too. I was going to ask, um, what's the, uh, you know, what's the impact uh, of the organization now? How many staff and do you know your volunteer numbers counts off the top of your head that might be a tough ask but no we we have we have more than 60 staff now across the country about half are, are here in london we have four thousand volunteers across the country again in london we work with banshaw and western it, it's just been an amazing adventure it's been wonderful it's cool that uh you know a missed opportunity on an undergrad can lead to Six thousand. What was the number? Six thousand volunteers. Four thousand volunteers, volunteers every year working yeah. with kids, learning science. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's a happy, happy serendipity, I guess. It uh, was the best thing that could have ever happened to yeah. me. Yeah. So now I talk a lot about how important failure is. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely appreciate that one as well, but that's a whole another podcast probably. <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's talk about uh, you know one of the questions that it's more of a conversation starter. We talked a little bit before hitting record, but. Uh, what do you think London does better than anywhere else? That's a good question. I, I think from my perspective, what London did better than anywhere else for me was being a connector. I mm. think the the ability of people in this city to be thinking out, almost outside of themselves to help connect the dots, make connections and uh, you know build relationships was core as to why I'm even here. And in fact, I have to do a shout out to one of my earliest mentors, uh, Mitch Barron, <laughs> who is CEO of Trudell. He kept saying, life is a contact sport. <laughs> he was, he had Trudell Medical still here in London yeah. and wonderful, innovative company, right? Yeah. Joan Francolini, Gordon Oswald-Destin were core mentors for me in the early stage. So I think London is really remarkable in the ability of people to just bring others together in such a relatively small community. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're uh, not the first to, to highlight that, mm -hmm. um, which is really interesting to, to me. Um, and that was my core theory around, you know, what maybe we maybe do better than anyone else when I looked at Innovation Works and uh, how quickly that building came together and some of the successes. Mm -hmm. It's really digging out, okay, what allows us to do that? so quickly so fast and so and tech alliance the great success yeah, there it's been yeah. great there yeah. and pillar uh, mm -hmm. yeah there's uh, there's a the child and youth network i don't know if you're familiar with them mm -hmm. in town but yep. there's a lot of actually once you start digging there's actually a lot of examples of collaboratives mm -hmm. in the city that's really exciting um 
the next question uh, is around innovation. And um, I like to ask uh, before we jump into sort of the broader topic, uh, what does innovation mean to you? Because everyone seems to have a slightly different version. So it's helpful mm -hmm. to understand. I think for, from my perspective, it's really quite simple of just improving, finding new ways to improve. And it can either be within a process, so there might be just a little bit like incremental innovation where you're just always getting a little bit better and better and better at something that you do. And then the other end of the spectrum is this more disruptive innovation where you create a new product, a new program, you know, something just really different and kind of come out in storm. And at Let's Talk Science, we like to do both yeah. and the continuum in between. That's, uh, so that's actually leads into the next question is where do you see innovation uh, at your organization? Right. So from the uh, maybe the incremental or getting a little bit better all the time, I can point to that program that I started when I was a grad student. So more than 25 years ago. And we've just gotten so good at supporting these volunteers that now universities and colleges come to us mm -hmm. to say we want to get involved. So we have focused very much on how do we put systems in place and processes in place to really enable the volunteers to do what they want to do. And that's get out and work with kids, mm -hmm. right? Get out and work with teachers. So we've done every year, we just get better and better and better at doing that. Then at the other end of the spectrum, we launch whole new projects. And in fact, we are in the midst of just putting the final touches on a really cool project that we're doing in partnership with the Canadian Space Agency. Mm -hmm. And we'll be releasing that very soon. It will feed into this uh, growing interest in coding and computational thinking and helping young people build digital skills. But we wanted to do something really different. So we are partnering with the space agency. And when uh, CSA astronaut David St. Jacques goes to the International Space Station in the fall, we will be doing coding exercises across the country, sending schools and classrooms micro bits and sensors that they can code and monitor environmental conditions in their classroom. So looking at temperature, humidity, mm -hmm. carbon dioxide levels, learning those digital skills and then comparing them with David's data from the space mm, that's station. Cool. That's seriously cool. <laughs> I am so excited that's about amazing. what we're doing there. So yeah. we've had to actually build the whole project team from, you know, from the ground up, really think carefully about how we could create uh, a program that fit the curriculum really was something that teachers and kids would like to do and then be able to do it in conjunction with a space agency. Is that, a, you, you mentioned matching the curriculum. So is that a, like an Ontario project or are you able to match the curriculum across? Across the country. Yeah, we've gotten, we've gotten really good at being able to think nationally about programs, but picking those programs that will align across all the provinces and the territories. Is that hard to do? Like, you know, think about innovation. I would have been in some projects that involve um the education sector and it's a, there's i would say most of them focused on what you can do within the province because jumping across provinces is really hard it's it's very hard and and sometimes that can be the real constraint to true innovation and disruption right because if you if you're producing something that isn't actually going to address some of the policy needs within the curriculum, then teachers are less inclined to take it on and give it a try. So it really is this balance of looking nationally, looking at what the curriculum is staying, and then figuring out how can you be really deeply, truly innovative within that context. That's cool. 
So yeah. the next question is, where else do you see innovation in the city? Oh, you I mentioned Trudel and others. Absolutely. But, yeah. Oh, 3M. 3M's mm -hmm. a, a big partner of ours. And you know, I'm, innovation underscores everything that they do. So we love working with them. I see innovation in the, the, the life sciences sector across the, the city, mm -hmm. right? The, the universities, the college, some of the, the research that's happening there. See, within Tech Alliance and the mm -hmm. entrepreneurial support, um, Pillar's doing a great job with social innovation mm -hmm. and really helping to support the sector. We're proud members and, and love to actually get involved with those things. So I think, you know, education in the city is, is fantastic. The school boards are working. I think where I get a little bit more frustrated is that innovation and the best practices all tend to be a little bit more centered within particular organizations or particular classrooms. Um, and we need to do a better job really telling the story. So mm -hmm. what you're doing here and how can we share best practices? How can we actually learn? How do we scale? Like mm -hmm. how do we take small innovations and actually bring them out, you know, get them into more locations, higher use? I think we could do better of that, but I think we are an innovative city. How, how do we do that? I think it's about telling the story more. Mm -hmm. I think it's about trying to perhaps not think just so insularly ourselves. And it's hard because you get so busy in your day-to-day -day job that you, it's hard. I see it even with Let's Talk Science. We have to constantly find ways to think about telling our story. We need to be thinking about who can we partner with that can help us reach more on very limited resources, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we are a charity. We we fund all of our work through philanthropy. We don't charge schools for mm -hmm. our outreach. It's all funded and free. So sometimes you can just get so caught up in the work that you're doing that that come up sometimes <laughs> and look around for partners mm -hmm. and scalability opportunities. I think it's a tough job of any CEO or senior leader. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, the cliche is working on the business versus working in the business, but to the extent that we can kind of come up for air, this project is you know, a coming up for air project for me. Um, and it's been really fascinating to hear the different stories um, mm -hmm. that exist, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been neat. The, um, the next question, and we you kind of alluded to it as well, but, uh, you know, you're out uh, in different regions of the country. Uh, the question is around, you know, does London have an identity problem or, or maybe put another way, are you able to talk about the city that your, your organization's founded in? And what do you what do you say about it when you're out? Traveling? Yeah, I, I, I talk about it sometimes. I, I think often when I'm traveling, I'm, I'm kind of parachuting into a learning environment as mm -hmm. opposed to working at a city level, mm -hmm. right? So I'll often use examples of partners that we have in London and work that we are doing in London as as prototypes or examples of, of how we can get out and, and do things a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So then um, the next question is, do you think it's a problem for the city that it doesn't seem to have a uh, a formalized identity and I compare us uh, to, you know, some other communities of Waterloo is the most obvious regional one where they have a brand that is mm -hmm. well known for technology. Uh, London doesn't seem to have that. And I don't know, mm -hmm. the part I don't know is where I'm asking, is it a problem that people perceive or is it, uh, is it a challenge for the city? I think it's a missed opportunity. I, I think that we, we could actually stand for innovation and I, I remember Mitch Barron actually at one of the city council meetings 
saying that he could envision on the 401 even coming off into into London, some really big physical tribute to London as an innovation hub and mm-hmm. an innovation center. And I, I think he was right with that. I think we are kind of a hidden gem. I think that we could definitely come forward in a little bit more vocal way than we tend to do as these you know, nice Canadians that don't want to brag so much. But we really do. I think if you think about innovation and being innovators is at the at the center of you know the health system in the city, the education system, the manufacturing opportunities, you know, the innovations with 3M, it really is the common denominator mm-hmm. here. So uh, and maybe I already asked this question. But, uh, you know, ask it again, maybe in a different way is, uh, you know, how do we think we do that? Do we put a a monument on the (laughs) the 401 to some of the great innovators? How do we get the word out about the, the city that we're that we're innovative? That's a good question. I mean, there, there's other cities that have also branded themselves, and it might it might work to look at how they've done it. But you know, Vancouver being known as a sort of a green city, and and the leadership there wanting to put Vancouver on the map for looking at sustainable energy mm-hmm. sources and whatnot. Maybe we need to be looking at that. Maybe. Or maybe we need to be going from the mayor on through through the city to understand how many of us are contributing to that greater agenda and how would we actually build a brand. I think that would be a fantastic exercise that would bring even more of us together to talk about this topic. Yeah, I think um, yeah, you know, with this project, I'm I'm hoping to get people thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not expecting to come to a conclusion. So far, I haven't been able. to disprove my hypothesis if we follow the yeah. scientific method but i don't know that i would publish a research paper yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the, that'd be the forest city nomaker is okay yeah it, it works. <laughs> but maybe we can move i don't towards know that that's, <laughs> um yeah and i would totally advocate for more trees and things like for that, sure i don't know that that sure. uh, encompasses the the human spirit that exists here and that's right i think um that's what you know people connect to people and uh, with the people-based activity here, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. interesting. So, uh, you know, the last question is really a question. Uh, turning over the mic to you, uh, the interviewer, Mike. Uh, I like to ask: Is there anything I should have asked but didn't in our kind of exploration of, of innovation or what's going on in our city? Or um, in the second stage, is if you have any questions, uh, back this way. Right. I, I think I think one of the things that I'm finding quite fascinating in my role is that I'm, you know, I'm still there. It's mm-hmm. more than 25 years and we're finding that the, the need for Let's Talk Science is actually increasing. Mm-hmm. So when we first began the organization, I remember actually in London sitting around the table thinking, well, if we if we only did this well, then we won't have to worry about it anymore. We can kind of close up yeah. shop and go home. But now it's actually, it's incredibly exciting opportunity to be thinking about how do we get young people to be innovators? How do we get them thinking and building the kinds of skills that they need for a world that we couldn't have even forecast 25 years ago, like the, the reshaping of technology in our lives. How do we get young people ready for that? Mm-hmm. You know, five years ago, technology didn't look like it is now. And we're moving so quickly, yet the school systems, it takes time to transform and evolve. And so there's this really uh, this really important tension that's happening now. So how do 
How do companies get involved? How does the not-for-profit world get involved? How do we identify the kinds of skills and attributes these kids need in order to become your future employees, right? Um, how, do we, how do we prepare them? And so the challenges are actually greater now than when we embarked, and yet we're seeing great gains. So just recently, data came out to say that 22% increase in enrollments at post-secondary in Ontario in science and technology and engineering programs. So that's really good. Mm -hmm. You know, we're getting more and more kids staying connected, and yet there's more and more need mm -hmm. for them. So Are we seeing a movement? Um, I know it's been an issue in uh, technology, Based, but uh, women joining the technical field uh, in software development, it's been low. I think I saw something that's saying it's getting better in the engineering, but not the computer science part. Yeah. Um, but general engineering, we're starting to see women come back more into the field. When you say the 22% increase, is that driven, I, I would hope, by more female enrollment, but maybe that's not the case. Well, it's, it's a gender is a really complicated issue because if you look at the life and biological sciences, women are about 70% mm. of the post-secondary audience there over men. If you look at the, say the, the physical sciences and engineering, it's flipped. We're seeing growing success in some areas like the University of Toronto had 40% in their first year of it's women amazing. in their first year engineering. So we're, we're starting to see some real movement there. When it comes to computer science, though, across the board, it's not, there is a gender difference, but my bigger worry is that too few young people at all mm. are looking at going into those kinds of digital skills. I actually am uh, the volunteer chair of a national leadership task force on um, digital literacy and skills for the Information and Communications Technology Canada. And, you know, what the data is showing there is, yes, far fewer women than men are going into those areas. We have to work on it. But overall, one of the last systematic uh, assessments of, of student performance showed that globally only 2% of kids saw themselves moving into computer science mm -hmm. areas. So that in of itself is a little bit worrisome when we see the rapid rise of the, the technological world. So I think one, it's changing. I would be curious. Um, Two-part question. One, why do you think we continue to see low female enrollment and two, why so low enrollment overall? And maybe the answers are the same. I don't know. But yeah, I think I think there's a, it, again, it's a pretty complicated topic just to kind of rip off in a sentence or <laughs> two. But I think in many of the cases in which women are not there, there's there's multiple factors. There's a culture factor that mm -hmm. they maybe are not seeing themselves in the area of study, and so there's not the role models that are there. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also some studies that have suggested that women don't have as much self-confidence in some of those areas. So even if, uh, like a girl, for example, is performing really well in a particular topic area, she will rate her own confidence level mm -hmm. in that area lower than a boy who's not doing nearly <laughs> as well, but it's mm -hmm. overconfident. So that, that self-perceived confidence is an issue. Um, and then the other part that I think is a really big issue is often, again, huge generalization. Women want to see the work that they're doing impacting the lives of others in a positive mm -hmm. way, whether it's in the environment within which we work or people. I mean, I why doctors, right? Yeah. 70%. So I think if we can do a better job communicating 
the impact and the outcomes of those physical science, technology, math-driven fields of work on how they affect the lives of others, Mm. we will go a long way to helping to bust a lot of stereotypes and myths. And if we can change some cultural attributes that make some of those areas and those fields and those workplaces more welcoming to women, it is not a capacity issue. It is not an abilities issue at all. I think um, maybe what you just said is that Facebook uh, manipulating the election that they didn't, but it was the tools manipulated to get Donald Trump elected is maybe a really good case for why we need uh, people who are interested in the humanities in computer science, because it is there no longer. It's not just about video games and entertainment. We're talking about society changing um, things with these algorithms that can be manipulated by people who know how to manipulate them to change human behavior is yeah. sort of terrifying. <laughs> and, and technology but, serves people, right? Yeah. And I think that we've probably done a misservice by segmenting technology into perhaps just particular sections, right? There's a stereotype about the technology just being for game development and then a lack of awareness that a lot of girls are on doing oh, gaming yeah, yeah. as well, for right? Sure. So things just maybe looking at language, looking at culture, looking at confidence levels, role modeling, and talking about the impacts of the work. Mm-hmm. Great. So, uh, you know, I did, uh, if, was there anything else that we missed? That was a great exploration of something but I missed. It's, but. It's, a, it's a fascinating time to be, in this kind of space and really applaud your desire to showcase stories yeah. and, and get them out into the public domain a little bit more and help us all tell our stories a bit better. Do you have any uh, questions back for me before we close out? Yeah. The answer can be no. Uh, I'd love to hear more about what you're doing, but maybe that's a separate <laughs> yeah, podcast. That a separate you podcast. Talk about yeah, no, um, really with our traction uh, and some of what we're doing, we're, we love technology and, um, but really, you know, part, part of this podcast is an extension of that, um, the, the, using the, the digital media and the technologies that exist to tell stories. I think uh, I'm particularly uh, fascinated by culture, counterculture. So, you know, you have the fake news and the, the quick cat videos, but now podcasting is a form of long form um, has come back. So what are the mediums by which people consume and, uh, and learn stories? You know, there's going to be the need for the quick uh, you know, 30 second videos, but there's also the need for the, you know, 45 minute long form interview. Uh, and how do we use the mediums that best exist to tell a certain message? So the podcast is partially an experiment for me. And that is, can we tell the story of a city through long form content? Because mm-hmm. I don't think we can do it in 30 second cat videos. Although if we could, we might get more clicks and more engagement <laughs> but uh how do you play with the different types of medium um and the different options that exist in the, the technology space so we, with this project we also played a little bit with facebook live videos see what the engagement was uh see if we can increase interest um by using the different mediums that exist and uh was partially experimenting you know again from scientific perspective uh but also yeah i really love s- storytelling and hearing people's stories and mm-hmm. uh i just got frustrated that the stories aren't being told um to the extent that I, I think they could be. And I'm hoping, you know, I, I can't solve this problem myself, but I'm starting to showcase how it can be done in different formats and get other people thinking about how to tell their story out in the community. You know, Let's Talk Science is a great organization. So how do we get your story told more? Uh, and you know, take that times, I think a thousand amazing companies doing mm-hmm. amazing things in London. Uh, 
the best you know comment i can't remember who made it first a couple people have uh, hit on it since but you know there may not be one story of london but there's a thousand really great stories so it's mm-hmm. more of an anthology a collection of stories that make up our city which is actually a fairly compelling thing to think about you know we don't have one store here one great success story but we have Lots. thousands of organizations yeah. <laughs> like let's talk science that are literally changing the world but people in london don't know so they say nothing's going on or there aren't any big you know exciting things happening here but when you know you listen to you talk and was it was it 42 percent of schools or something you know that's huge impact uh we have church and technologies in and you know what 20 percent of the world's population i think uh gets clean water through them that's huge impact you know right in our backyard and it's hard not to get excited about those things and uh, hopefully more people can get excited about what's going on in their own community so that's great thank you it's been fun thanks so much for coming yeah it's been a lot of fun David and I have put our time into recording the Branding London podcast because we love this city and, more importantly, the people in it. Our traction decided to produce this podcast because this work is aligned with our core focus of amplifying great stories to increase relevance, impact, engagement, and momentum. If you'd like to support us, you can visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash brandinglondon. Your generous support will help us to promote this season into more channels so that more people can hear London's good news stories and it'll help us fund future seasons. To find recaps, videos of some interviews, our Patreon link, or more information about us in this podcast, you can visit ourtraction.com slash podcast. Production assistance for this series was provided by Webisodes. Special thanks to Adam Kaplan for his help with recording the live streams and providing the audio from those interviews. We're also grateful for the technical production support of Michael Dales. Thanks for listening. Like what you hear? Subscribe to the Branding London podcast, like our traction on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. 